If you're online with us and you haven't yet done it, I encourage you to download the sermon outline that's with the bulletin so that you have a place to look at some notes and jot down some things that God might say to you. And if you're here with us, get your pencils out, your Bibles out. Here we go. We're talking about following. And the title of today's message is Only Through Conversation with God. Deny, take up your cross and follow me, Jesus said. We've, and so as we've been talking about following, very quick review. Um, follow me is the invitation. So following Jesus is the invitation. And it's about joining him on mission in the context of relationships. When we choose to follow him, it's a choice to go into training, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to obey Jesus. There's no other alternative. It's the, you can't just be a spectator. It's to follow, to go into training. It requires intentional time with Jesus alone, as well as being with other people in times of spending time with him. Worship, Bible studies, learning communities, fellowship. Following Jesus together is a lifestyle, is a together lifestyle, a together lifestyle, primarily, even more than individually. Following Jesus means moving into deep friendship through making decisions to turn away from my agenda, that's taking my cross, denying myself, taking my cross daily to follow him, making decisions to choose him, going through the experiences that he provides, and then having conversations to make sense of what he's doing. And then last week we talked about how God reveals himself through experiences and then explains through conversation. Only through conversation with God. What if I said to you there's a way that is guaranteed to lead you into experiencing God's presence in deeper, satisfying ways, as well as experiencing Him in the practical, daily decisions of life. Would that be appealing? And you'd not be surprised that I said that, would you? Because I've said it, and as long as you hang around here, I'm going to keep saying it regularly. Because it's one of the, to get to that place is one of the hardest, takes one of the hardest and best, um, let, me, let me rephrase that. It, take, it will require you doing some of the hardest things, but that are also the best things Amen. in order to keep making it better and better and better. So I want to look at a scripture. Last week we looked at uh, the scripture where Jesus took Matthew, or I'm, I'm sorry, James, Peter, and John up the Mount of Transfiguration. He was transfigured before them. Moses and Elijah were there, and they, they talked about, we talked about that. And, and as they're coming down the mountain, he begins to tell them again that he's going to have to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested. But he says, don't tell the rest of them. But he revealed his glory. And we, we saw how they experienced in that moment, but Jesus wants us to experience his manifest presence, his glory, who he really is more and more and more. So as they're coming down the mountain, and it was a, it was a mountain, so it took them time to get up, took them time to come down, and they had a lot of time to, to talk about that. And they, come, they literally come down from a mountaintop experience with Jesus. And we pick it up there. And I, when I, and I put it in your notes. I want you to notice the conversations that happen throughout this passage of Scripture. The conversations 
of different people with Jesus, not just the disciples, but different people with Jesus. The conversations and how those conversations lead to people experiencing Jesus in deeper ways. And, um, and so I put the question there. One of the questions that we should be asking ourselves is how can I have more and better conversation with Jesus? Because conversation is the way that we experience his presence. Converse, the original old English of the word conversation wasn't just um, talking. It wasn't just exchanging words. It was how we lived life in fellowship together. It's how we live life. And so if you were in conversation with someone, you were actually you know, living life. You're walking together, talking together. That's, that's conversation. So how can we have better and more conversations with Jesus? So open your Bible to Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 14. <clears throat> Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 14. Jesus, Peter, James, John, mountaintop experience. They, they heard the voice of the Father. They saw Jesus transform. They've been walking down the hill. They get to the bottom, and you, and you have to believe that there was this kind of afterglow, this kind of just wonder that, that came with them. You know, a joy that was so strong. Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 14, we pick up the story. And when they came to the disciples, so when the four of them came back to the nine, they saw a great crowd around the nine and scribes arguing with them. That's not usually a good sign, is it? When you come into a crowd and, you, and the people that are supposed to be with you are arguing with somebody else, that's probably not a good sign. It, it's kind of like, it's, it's like if you're a parent and you walk into a room and your kids are fighting, you go, what are you arguing about again? And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And I, I spent time digging into this. Why were they amazed? You know, I kind of always thought, well, maybe Jesus still had this kind of aura around him. And I could not find any answers because sometimes the Bible just doesn't answer the questions that you're curious about. But they were amazed in some way because he, he was God and, and he shows up. And he asks a question. Does God ever ask you questions? If you're listening, as you're reading the word, he'll ask you questions. As you're praying, he'll ask you questions. Because he wants to be in conversation with you more than you want to be in conversation with him. He wants to direct your life more than you want to be directed. He wants you to experience his presence way more than you want to experience it. And so the way he does that is to ask questions that draws you in. Because Here's a newsflash. When God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. Because he's God. Right? You, did, you do this with your kids or your grandkids, right? Why did you do that? You know why they did it. You're just asking what they think and see if they're willing to fess up to it. So Jesus is the one that begins a conversation. What are you arguing about? What are you arguing about? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. 
Now that doesn't directly answer the question, but it gives Jesus the situation. He brought his son, notice, he has a spirit within him. He is possessed by a demonic spirit that is trying to destroy him. Causes him to be mute. It seizes him. It throws him down. It, he foams at the mouth. Grind his teeth. He becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And so they were trying to cast it out. Why were they arguing with the scribes? Who knows? But they weren't able to do what they needed to do. And when we aren't following in step with Jesus, and we are not doing what we should be doing, or we're, we're disobeying him, it will cause conflict in our lives. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? O faithless generation, faithless, without trust in me, without really depending on me, without really following on me. He's not talking about this ethereal um, kind of, you know, whatever we think faith is. He's talking about down to earth, all, boots on the ground. You are not doing what I want you to do. You're, you're not trusting me in, in action. You know, we, it's, it's not about singing unless you're living it. It's not about praying unless you're living it. He said, on the boots, you, faithless generation, you're not doing what I have told you to do. Who, who were his words directed to? Was it the man with the son that was demon-possessed? Not at all. It was to the nine. He's talking to the nine. He's not talking to the scribes, Pharisees, the religious leaders. He's talking to those who should be doing what they were supposed to do. And I have a hunch. Last week I said, I wonder why he didn't take the nine with him. I think it's because he left him down at the bottom of the hill to do what his, his kingdom was about. To do, he left them to continue his work while he was gone. Because if we track back into the Gospels, what we know is there, were, there was a time when he sent them out two by two to get ready for, get the, the different towns ready for his arrival. As he, as he, and he gave them orders. Heal the sick, cast out the demons, and announce that the kingdom of God is at hand. And then they came back rejoicing that the demons listened to them. That when they cast out demons, when they told the demons to leave people, they left. They came back so excited because they were, they were exercising the power of God. So they had experience doing exactly what they should have been doing here. So he left them in the bottom. And so he comes back down and they're not doing what he told them to do. Oh, faithless generation. And as I was looking at this, I, and I couldn't help ask myself, are there times when God might be saying that to me? Because it's not about love. It's not about emotion. It's about action. Are there times when he's saying things, he's nudging us. He's saying, I want you to do something. I want you to care about this person. I want you to show love to this person. I want you to give. I want you to interact. I want you to help. I want you to say something. I, are there times when I'm not doing that? If I am, then I'm acting in a faithless way because I'm not obeying. These disciples had been doing previously what they should have been doing in this case. Jesus is upset. 
He's frustrated with the disciples. Is there any place in your life now where Jesus might be saying that to you? It could be a small thing, big thing. Anytime we're not doing what he wants us to do, we're acting in a faithless way. And, and we're disappointing him, frustrating him. He, he's coming down from this mountaintop experience where his glory was revealed. And he faces nine who weren't doing what they were supposed to. Bring him to me, Jesus said to them. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. It's interesting that when they bring him into the presence of Jesus, it gets worse. The situation gets worse. Why? Because the demon doesn't want to leave, right? Here, here's, you might want to write this down. I would have put it in your notes if I'd thought about it before. When uh, we go to Jesus and a situation appears to get worse, oftentimes it's not really getting worse. It's just that something is being, God is peeling away um, the, the facade or the wrapper or the, the whatever's keeping us from seeing it. He's surfacing stuff in our lives because he's asked, he wants us to surrender it. Sometimes when we pray for something to happen, it feels like things get worse. And it's, it's really that he's just surfacing, he's just bringing stuff to the surface because he's saying, I want you to surrender that to me. He's, he's identifying things that, is ca that are causing us to not do what he wants to do, to be faithless. He's surfacing. So when things start getting worse, we need to be in conversation with God. We need to say, God, what is really going on here? Show me what is really happening. And then he'll respond. He says, give that to me. Give it to me. And Jesus, so Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And I think my favorite, maybe my favorite part of the, this interaction is this moment when he, I, I have this picture of, of them bringing the, the boy to him and, and Jesus moving over closer to the father. And it's kind of like he leans into him and he begins to have this conversation that other people can overhear, but he's focused on the Father. And out of a heart of love, out of a heart of care, out of a heart of compassion, he leans over to the Father and he says, how long have you been putting up with this? How long have you been watching your son like this? How long have you been suffering? How long have you been hurting? How long has this been happening? The compassion of Jesus. The father responded from childhood. And because when Jesus moves closer to us, he makes it safe to say what we need to say and be honest. This pours out of him. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. It's been so bad for so long since he was a child. I've watched year after year after year. I've, I've been so many times when I've had to pull him out of the fire. I've had to pull him out of the water as these demons. I, 
my life is just consumed by taking care of him. And I don't know what else to do. And so out of desperation, his words are, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help him. I'm at the end of myself. I have no place else to go. I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. My heart is breaking. I have a longing that my son, uh, Lord, uh, unless you do something, he's going to, they're going to kill him. I'm going to lose my son. And who knows what scars he has from all those times when the demons were trying to destroy him. You're my last hope. Now, I want you to note, this man's heart is breaking even more at this point. So he brought him to Jesus. Jesus was up on the mountain. His disciples were there. Word had gotten out that his disciples had been casting out demons. And so they should be able to handle this. And so he asked them. And instead of it happening, they couldn't do it. And now his hope has been dashed. And he thinks he's at the end of his rope. He, doesn't, he, he thinks there's no other thing that can happen. When, and... and when they don't do it, when they are faithless, when they are not operating in the power of God, it harms others. Because what we see is it was Jesus' desire for this demon to be cast out. And those disciples should have done it. When he came down from that mountain, the, the, it, it, the possibility was the son and the, the dad would even be gone. It is done. The and, and, and around the campfire that night, they could have said, oh, and by the way, while you were gone, here's the, here are the healings that happened. Here's the, the demons that were cast out. Here's the joy that we've restored. None of that. Because they were faithless. Because they were not doing what Jesus wanted them to do. And so he says, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. And Jesus responds to him, if you can, all things are possible. For one who believes. All things are possible for one who believes. Now, I want you to be sure, and when you read scripture, make sure you're reading it through the, the picture of a loving heavenly father. This is not scolding. Jesus is saying, uh, it's not about if I can't. I can. So, so get that out of your mind. If you can, I, don't even say that. All things are possible for him, he who believes. When we are in conversation with God, be sure you're listening through the picture of a loving heavenly dad because the filter you hear with will determine whether, how you see God. This is not Jesus with his finger in, in the man's face. This is Jesus with his arm around him saying, oh, Oh, you have no idea. You have no idea the possibilities. He's hopeless. He's helpless. He doesn't know what to do. He needs to hear the compassion of Jesus. My mom's with us for a few weeks. Most of you know that. Everybody say, hi, mom. Hi, mom. Hi, mom. And, and rumor has it she's going around telling stories about me. <laughs> and some of you are guilty because you're prodding her. You're asking for dirt on me in the past. And one of the stories that I've heard she's talking about is when I was in sixth grade, which would have made me about 11 years old. And, and one of my chores, because they were slave drivers. I mean, it was a child, yeah, they were violating child labor laws. 
all over the place. They had chores for me to do all the time, you know. I'd... And one of those chores was we had horses at the time. And one of my jobs was to make, the ho- make sure the horses had hay and oats and water. The watering trough we had, for some reason, when my parents bought the property, there was a, an old bathtub in one of the f- uh, along the fence in one of the fields where the horses were. I have no, who knows? You know, back, I was at 11 years old, you go, there's a bathtub in the field. And so that was the horse trough. My parents being frugal, they, why buy a horse trough if you got a bathtub in the field? So one of my jobs was to run the hose from the house, put the, and, make sh- and put the hose in there, fill up the bathtub so that the horses would have water to drink. One evening, I was doing my job, and I was, I was 11 years old, and I got distracted. And I had the hose in the bathtub, and I had it turned on, but I didn't turn it off. My dad got up the next morning and discovered... Now, we lived out in the, in the country. We had a well. <laughs> Some of you are ahead of me. And we had a well, and I didn't turn it off, and so it ran for 8, 12, 14 hours. 12, it had to be at least 12 hours, maybe 14 hours. And my dad went out there and discovered it. And he... And so he came to me, he goes, oh, little Herbie, I think you made a mistake. <laughs> Most of you know my dad was not like that. He was, he was so mad, so mad. He came in, what kind of kid are you? Well, use words that I'm not allowed to say anywhere close to this piece of property. <laughs> Grounded me for two weeks, which means I... I, I missed several things that I had been looking forward to. And I was 11 years old. I got distracted and almost dried the well out. That was just one of the incidences that, um, where I experienced the wrath, the anger, the emotional abuse, the verbal abuse for the first 18 years of my life. So when I, so as I'm, I'm coming to Christ, I'm reading stories like this. What I would have is the picture of my dad when Jesus says things like, if you can, and it felt like my dad was, it felt like dad is grounding me for two weeks. And some of you have that same picture of God. And you need to somehow, some way, turn that around, surrender that, because that is not the God of the universe. Oh, sometimes he gets angry, but not like that. Here's, here's what I think, if it had been Jesus, he would have, well, if it had been Jesus, he would have turned the water off. <laughs> and he was sat down and said, and explained it to me and said, this is why you need to be more responsible. Let me help you become more responsible. Let me, and instead of you know, thinking an 11-year-old kid should, who has a, a measure of ADD can even stay focused long enough to turn the water off. Jesus would come and put your arm around and let me explain this to you. Let me help you. Let me under, because I love you. I care about you. And, and you need to be responsible. And you're going to have to you, you, come up with some kind of discipline. But it wasn't disobedience. 
And so what we have here is the man, he was, this man was not disobedient. And that's when, that's when he, he corrects us. That's when he rebukes us is when we're de- being disobedient. I wasn't being disobedient. I was just being a kid. But we hear God through that filter. And so here, well, I think what we have is this, this man with Jesus' arm around his shoulder going, if you can, let me tell you what I can do. Immediately, the father cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. That's a prayer that you ought to pray. There are times when God says, do you trust me? Yes, I trust you, but help me trust you more because I know I need to trust you more. Help my unbelief. Help, help me. And, and you know what God does? He says, I'll do that. When we cry, and so th- in this conversation, Jesus is asking questions because he wants the man to see who he really is. He wants the man to understand the possibilities. He wants them to understand it, you're never hopeless as long as you're turning to Jesus, ever. There's still hope. There's always hope. It may not work out the way that you want, but there's always hope because he gives hope. If you believe, yes, I believe, but I want to believe more. I want you to help me believe more. That's a conversation that he will honor. Help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you. Come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them, most of them, almost everybody there said he's dead. Don't accept appearances. So when you come to Jesus and you ask him to do something and, and the response is not what you think it should be and the appearances is it got worse, don't believe those appearances. Follow Jesus all the way to the end. And so the man saying that, who knows what's going on in the man's mind? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Was he one of them that said he's dead? We don't know. But Jesus didn't leave it there because there's never a hopeless situation with Jesus. Don't accept appearances. Hold on to Jesus all the way to the end. Don't accept appearances. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. In the Gospel of Luke, as he recounts the story, it says he gave him back to his father. He returned him to his father, healed and whole. For the first time in years, he has his son back. From hopelessness to greatest restoration. Whatever situations you have in your life that look hopeless, that look like there's, who knows, how, how in the world is this ever going to work out? Follow Jesus all the way to the end. The reason the devil continues to work against people is because if he can get us to give up, we don't experience all that Jesus has for us. So if the man is with the son and Jesus says, just hold on, believe, anything is possible with belief, and the man goes, I've tried that, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And he grabs the son and he walks away. He doesn't experience what Jesus really wants. Hold on to Jesus all the way to the end. The only way that we don't experience that is if we give up, if we walk away. That's the devil's strategy. So what comes next is a huge lesson for us. An important lesson on living in conversation with God 
in living in step with the Holy Spirit. And so at the beginning, I, I, I said, what if I could tell you a way that you could um, experience God deeper, see him more manifestly, and have a deeper relationship with him, grow in alignment with him? And here we go. Verse 24, and when he, came, when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, which is probably smart. <laughs> we don't want to be embarrassed in front of everybody. We'll just wait until he's all alone. Why could we not cast it out? That shows there was intelligence among the disciples. <clears throat> because what they could have done is said, we blew that one. Let's not talk about it. Let's just pretend it didn't happen. Let's just act like, let's just go on. Because we don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want, and because they're going to have to come clean. They're going to have to admit that they were faithless, that they weren't doing what Jesus told them to do. Why could we not have done it? He wanted them to do it. He, his desire was for them to do it, but they didn't do it. Why could we do it? The hump, asking, and so this is what I'm talking about in following, as we walk in step with the Spirit, is having these kind of conversations as you're journaling, as you're praying, as you're in the car, talking to God, saying, God, what is going on here? Help me understand this, and listening to see what he has to say. And so they go to him. When they blew it, they went to him. Why couldn't we do it? You, you expected us to do it. We couldn't do it. We've done it in the past. We don't know what's going on. And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And in some manuscripts, it, all, it has two more words, and fasting. And whether it's in the earliest manuscripts or not, I think, I think it's, it's the Word of God. Some things can be driven out only, by, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. So Jesus' assumption was they were supposed to drive it out. But here his instruction is there are some things that God wants us to do that cannot be done except by this word prayer. In this context, it doesn't mean requests. It means a life of conversation with God. Prayer could be request. Prayer could be praise. Prayer could be asking for direction. Prayer can be um, thanking God for things. Prayer is conversation with God. Not a formula prayer. Not, uh, he didn't say, you need to pray the Lord's Prayer three times before you try to kick out a demon. He, it's not formula. It's relationship. Some things will only be done because the, in that case, what Jesus wants us to do is, okay, we tried what we've tried in the past. It didn't work. But we know that God is still wanting us to do this. So, Lord, what's going on? And you know what? He promised to tell us and explain it to him. And, 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 the, and the nine could have done it. It's not a formula prayer. Only by prayer and fasting is why they could, should, they should have done it, but they could not have done it. So let's talk about it for just a few minutes. Let me give you some takeaways. And this ties in with our, the first part of memory scripture. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. If anyone would follow, and, and, and so this is what he's talking about. He's talking about prayer. He's talking about this kind of walking with him, conversing with him. Every day, knees and nudges, doing what is necessary, denying ourselves, taking up our responsibilities and following him. And if it's not working out, you go back and say, what do you want? So number one, 
Prayer with fasting is not just about you. Prayer with fasting is not just about you. I almost put this as the fourth point, but as I was looking at this, I think it needs to be the first point. Because so much we think of in Christianity, our relationship with God, we think it's about us. We think it's about me. And in this case, it wasn't about the, the nine. It was about this father and son who desperately need the touch of God. And when they couldn't, and because they were not praying, Jesus' words, you couldn't do it because you were not praying with fasting. Go back to uh, verses 21 and 22. Mark chapter 9. says, Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it was often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us. You see, it's not just about us. A week from today, we're going, we start a week of our... our uh, a week of prayer with fasting. We do three of, them, three of them a year. And so oftentimes, as I challenge you to do it, it's about you know, trying to get you to lean into God. But at this time it occurred to me, a lot of it is about what God wants to do through us, with people around us. It's not just about us. So if we, if we have a desire to really help people, if we have a desire to see um, our children, our grandchildren, our parents come to know the Lord or be drawn into a relationship or have something happen in their lives, could it be that it's going to require us to deny ourselves and take up our cross of praying with fasting and follow Jesus' lead? A number of years ago, in the early days of the church, when God was first teaching me about fasting, um, we, I met with the realtor who had sold us our house years earlier, who was a Christ follower. And we were talking about trying to find property for a new song. And, and we got just talking. And I was, I, I, for some reason, I just started talking to him about, here, here's what we're learning. We're learning about fasting. And fasting has been powerful and drawing me in intimacy with God. And, and, and he said, I, I've been a Christian for all these years and I never really heard about that and I never really practiced it. And so I gave him a, f a few tips. And so uh, he took that and he began to fast. And I saw him a little while later and he said, I, I decided to practice it and, and I'm specifically praying for my brother. I've been praying for him for years to come to know Christ as Savior. And he hadn't done it. He was and so I'm, I'm praying and fasting for him. And then the other thing he said is, and when you're fasting, you look forward to brushing your teeth. <laughs> I'm going, yeah, okay, you know, if that, that's the only nourishment you're getting, I guess that would be exciting. <laughs> Sometime later, I got a message from him. My brother came to Christ. And I tracked back and I go, oh, God, that was what you were doing. You connected us, reconnected us. I, for some reason, you nudged me to talk about fasting. For some reason, he was ready to hear it. And, and he, for some reason, you nudged him to start doing it and praying for his brother because you were working. And there's some, some things only happen through prayer with fasting. 
It wasn't about Mark. Mark was the realtor's name. It wasn't about Mark. It was about his brother. Are there people in our lives that we've been praying for, hoping for, wondering, wanting things to happen? And maybe this time God's going to nudge us to pray with fasting because he wants to work in their lives. Number two, prayer with fasting is essential. According to Jesus, Jesus' words, some things only happen through prayer with fasting. It's essential. Prayer with fasting is essential. It's not essential if you want to be satisfied with, you know, superficial life. But it's essential if you really want to experience him. Luke chapter 4, verses 13 to 14. Jesus goes into, led by the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and go toe-to-toe with the devil for 40 days. At the, in, the Luke, in Luke's account of that, at the end of it, it says in chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, he says, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until, a, until an opportune time. They did battle. Jesus wins. He'll come back at, at another time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went all through, uh, out through all the surrounding country. Jesus the Son of God, 100% divine, 100% human, spent 40 days fasting in the desert, being prepared by the Father with the Holy Spirit there, so that when he emerged from those 40 days, it says he emerged in the power of the Holy Spirit. How much more do we need that? To become like Jesus, to experience intimacy and alignment, to be God's hands to help other people. Could it be that when the disciples heard this, the reason couldn't do it is because some things only happen through prayer with fasting. That they, they, in their minds, they said, well, you know, we've been with you for two and a half years. We've been talking with you. Isn't that what prayer is? We've been talking with you for two and a half years. We've been with you. We've been watching you. We've been listening to you. We've been, we've been doing all of these things. It could have, that could have crossed their mind. But in that moment, what they needed to hear is there's something more that you have to do. You need to learn about what deep intimacy prayer is. You need to learn about what it means to sacrifice and surrender yourself. Yesterday, 16 of us from New Song went to the 360 uh, Christian Leadership Day. And uh, so those of you who were there, was it a Holy Spirit-filled day? Yeah. Yeah. There was something there. There's God manifest in his manifest presence. Um, I'm the leader of the leadership development team who planned the whole thing. So I'm, I was kind of the MC of the whole thing. At the beginning of it, we had prayer time. And the Holy Spirit drew us into his presence, didn't he? And then as we went through the day, there was that. At the end, we, we, we wrapped it up. Had a panel, and there was a lot of discussion. Um, and then there was a prayer at the end. And wasn't the Holy Spirit drawing us close during that prayer time? And then as, a, as I'm about to wrap it up, one of the, um, one of the, the small group leaders, the, the breakout leaders, who also had led us in worship, said, can I... Can I sing a prayer 
a blessing. <sighs> yeah, I mean, the Holy Spirit's in charge of this. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying to follow his lead. And he, he sang, and sense of the Holy Spirit drawing us into himself. And I looked out and some people were, had tears. Some people had just about, there was just a presence. Now at the risk of sounding arrogant, it was much through what God was doing in me that led to us experiencing his presence. That would, but that would not have happened a number of years ago before God had begun to draw me into what understanding of what it means to fast with prayer. Prayer, we pray with fasting and leaning in and letting him do what he wants to do and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I've been thinking about what we experienced yesterday and I'm going, God, just thank you for letting me say yes. Because it's not, it wasn't me it was just a conduit. And how many times are there people in our lives where God wants to work, but, but he says, I want to use you. And, but it, there's some things that only happen through fasting and prayer. So are you willing to pay the price? It's essential for God to do what he wants to do in us and through us. It's expected. Fasting with prayer is expected. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Fasting is a practical way of denying ourselves. Saying no to what is rightfully ours, or, or legitimately ours, food, in order to say the deeper yes to God. Fasting is a means for tuning in our frequency to God as we, as we surrender to him, as we um, deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Jesus was disappointed in the nine because they couldn't do something. But it wasn't the something, it was because they hadn't been doing whatever he meant by fasting and praying with them. In Mark chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. Is that, did I put that in your outline? Jesus' disciples and the Pharisees, now John's disciples, John the baptizer, so the disciples and the Pharisees were fasting because they would ritually fast. They had certain times that they would fast. And people came to, and said to Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? He's using a metaphor. He's the bridegroom. They're the guests. And so, you know, when you're at a wedding party, it's not the right time. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But here's, <clears throat> here's what the, he says. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. Jesus goes back to the Father, the Holy Spirit comes, and then they will fast in that day. That's us. Expected. It. It's not an option. But in American Christianity, fasting is the forgotten spiritual discipline because we like food and we don't like denying ourselves anything. But if you want to experience him, it's going to require that. Number four, prayer with fasting is the means, not the point. It's not the point. Food, not giving up food is not the point. That's not the point. There are people who aren't even Christians, people who are serving pagan gods who fast, right? That's not the point. 
Food is the means by which we deny ourselves and lean into him. There are some things that cannot, be, cannot happen except by prayer and fasting. It was the power of God that comes as we surrender ourselves. Which is why every year we have three weeks where we designate it as, as a time of prayer with fasting. It's because fasting is not the point, but it's a process. And so I want you to pull out, I, what color is this? Lavender, okay. Does anybody think I would have chosen this color? It's a good Easter color. It's a good Easter color, isn't it? <laughs> it's a spring color. I'm glad y'all like it. I don't care what color it is. I just want it to stick out in your Bible when you, when you put it there. So here we go. Front, on the front, very quickly, we're going to run through this. Prayer with fasting. This is for the week, not starting today, but starting next Sunday, the, the week, what some people call Holy Week. I asked the question, what might happen if we seek God through prayer and fasting with all our heart, soul, minds, and strength? What might happen? We don't know what might happen. But what I do know is in the last 25, almost 30 years now that I've been practicing fasting, yesterday happened not because I fasted last November but rather because I've been saying yes for a long period of time. What might happen because God, we, we surrender ourselves and what, what might not happen? Who are the people in your life whose sons need to be freed? Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 13 in the first part of 14. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's, it, 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 it's like ramping up. It's like the intensity when you fast with prayer. He says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. So fasting is giving up food to focus on God more than normal. It's giving up food to focus on God. Food is not the point. It's an invitation from God for deeper relationship. It's not a religious ritual. It's not just something that we do because it's that particular time of year. It's about relationship. It's about intimacy and alignment. Growing deeper in your relationship with God and in intimacy and friendship, and then in your walk with God, doing what he wants you to do. It's not about earning points with God. It's not about earning points with God. That's religion. It's a spiritual experience using food that allows God to work in ways that are not otherwise possible. Some things only happen through prayer with fasting. And it's bigger than us. It's about God working beyond us. Here's what I believe. Some of you that have come recently to be a part of New Song, you're here because there were people fasting and praying, specifically asking God to bring people who need a church home, who need Christ. And did you wonder why you got nudged to come here? Or why you got invited to be here? It's because somebody else was fasting and praying. They didn't know who you were. Prepare for the week of prayer, and fa prayer with fasting. Take your pen or your pencil or something and circle this one. Ask God in conversation. We're talking about conversation with God, following him in, in walking with him, talking with him, in interaction with him, asking him questions, listening. Ask him how and when he wants you to fast because he has a plan for you. Ask him and he will tell you. Listen to what he has to say. Sometimes it will be less than you think you should do 
Other times it will be more than you think you should do. But it's about what God knows is best. Plan, schedule. Um, and so as you're thinking about next week, fasting and praying, schedule in some unhurried, uninterrupted time with God. So that as you're fasting and praying, you could just spend some dedicated time listening to Him. And then commit. And, and I challenge, many of you don't come to uh, the prayer gathering that we have once a month. I'm, I'm, I'm pleading with all of you that are prayer partners, especially those of you that are really have these gifts of prayer, prayer, prayer warriors, to come and be a part of this one. God is up to something. And, I, and I, we're going to do some different things. We're not going to offer it on Facebook Live. It's going to, we'll offer it on Zoom if you can't make it in person because we're going to do some more personal kinds of interaction with God. It's not scary. Don't think I'm going off the deep end. Okay? <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to hang by the chandeliers or, you know. But it's not... Just come. During the week of fasting and prayer, write this in. Expect battles. Expect hard because you're leaning into him. When Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after, come follow me, he has to deny himself. That's hard. Take up his cross, that's hard. And follow me, that's hard. And so this is not easy. Expect spiritual battles, but prioritize your daily appointment with God because the devil will come after you, try to keep you away from spending time with God. Start with surrender and praise, knees and nudges. And then focus on conversation with God. Live in conversation throughout the day. Um, and one way to do that, pray, and here's a revised fasting prayer. In the past, we've, the fasting prayer has been, every time you get hungry, you say, Lord, I love you more than food. Do whatever you want. Here's what I want. I, I revise it. Lord, I love you more than food. Every time you get hungry, every time you want to go to food, every time you want to do that thing that you are saying no to, Lord, I love you more than food. What do you want to say to me? So we're inviting God to speak rather than just surrendering to him. And then listen. And then you might have a follow-up question. Use it as a conversation. Reduce the noise in your life. Pull back from some of the stuff that's just distracting. That, um, and then double down when it gets hard. Call someone um, when it gets hard. If, you, if you're, um, you know, if you're, if you're, as you're fasting and you're just tempted and you just... You just, you just know you're about to break. Call someone. Double down. Call someone. Because there's power. There's power when we do it together. On the back, there's a place for, for yourself. Ask God what he wants you to specifically pray about. What does he want you to be talking to him about, asking him about? And then for us, for your church family and beyond, that God would lead us, tell us what he wants us to do next, that he will make us salt and light as the, as the presence of Christ. Ask him to mold us more and more to be like Christ, to guide us to how he wants us to be on. And write the word mission, how he wants to be on his mission, how, what he wants us to do to, to be the church beyond. And then there's, there's information about different kinds of fasts. If you've never fasted, if this is new to you, I'd be glad to talk with you about it. There are other people in the congregation be glad to talk with you about it. This is just three examples you can look. There's all kinds of information online. You can look up different kinds of fasts. Make sure it's Christian. Make sure Christian fasts. Um, it can be abstaining from all food with just liquids. Uh, or a Daniel fast, which is fruits, vegetables, nuts, and water. Partial fast. Um, some foods. 
as God directs, or a combination. It could be all, all week long, from Sunday to Sunday. could be several days, could be partial days. Um, and then write down what you hear, what you experience. So between now and next Sunday, the first part, God, how do you want me to fast? What is it you want me to do? And then whatever you hear, do it. There's not a run, one right way. There's God's way is the right way. But I, I believe, as I look back on the last 27 years, as God began to nudge me to fast, and then he ramped it up, and, and he's shown me different ways, um, that this has been the key. Because it's a practical way of denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. And I wouldn't surrender it for the world. Would you bow your heads? Lord, in this upside-down world, I pray that you would use what we've talked about to pull us more right-side up with you. I pray that you would speak to each one of us, say whatever you want, give us direction. But I pray that you would do do whatever you need to to get us aligned with you individually but also as a church family for whatever you want us to be about and however you want us to be out in preparation for whatever's coming in our lives or in our world. Lord, I pray that you would uh, do whatever it takes so that you can turn to us and say, oh, f people full of faith not faithless. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.